0: Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today we're thrilled to be joined by Matt Hookings, who is a writer, producer and actor of the film Fighter: The Life of Jem Belcher. And I wanted to start by talking a little bit about the writing process, because this is a story that you've been in development with from the initial conceptual of the idea to actually making the film over the course of about ten years, and it sounds like you wrote an incredibly extensive number of drafts, kind of going back through a lot of details. And I was interested in kind of once you felt like you really had the structural core of the story, what some of the details were that you found yourself still continuing to finesse a lot in those continued drafts.
1: all right it's a good question. Thanks for having me. um Yeah, it's yeah, God, the the, the writing the, it took ten years. I probably did. I think it was probably under exaggeration. I did over 300 drafts in script. It was just, you know, crazy. And I just wanted to get it so right. I wanted to get it to a point where, you know, Russell Crowe or whoever, Ray Winston read the script and just go, "Okay, we don't, we don't care who's behind it. This is great. Let's do this." So it was a very, very, very heavily edited um, script to the point where it was, you know, almost edited for screen in that sense so you know scenes kept being cut dialogue kept being tweaked the whole way through and you know I just I just kept working on it until you know some people along the way would say yeah it's great it's right now I just I just kept working on it until literally you know people picked up and went wow this this is this is now great and it just you know I didn't have a writing background, so I had to really learn on my feet. I've written a couple of short films before, but I just wanted to make it, you know, I wanted the dialogue to sing. I made it, I wrote it very visual. So it was this massive visual world where, you know, a, a writer, a non-writer, a director, a non-director, you know, a, a, anyone could pick it up and read it and kind of visualize and put themselves in that world. Um, and that, that was, that made it kind of, I wanted to do it that way to make it, you know, easier to read. And I wanted it to really, I wanted people to really just be, you know, sort of transported to that world. So it was really big, you know, I went through a bit of a disappointing stage with the writing because when we came to shooting, you know, budgets got cut and things got changed and locations dropped out. So, you know, a couple of weeks before shooting, I was doing edits on the script and, You know, people in the background telling me you've got to cut this, you've got to cut that because it costs too much money. So there was a lot more to the script that had to be cut. There was a lot of textured, um, you know, bits with characters. Lord Camelford was, you know, chewing sugar as part of his, his character just to kind of, you know, bring a bit of texture to that. We had loads of animals that I wanted, you know, elephants at the fights and all this crazy stuff um which you know maybe i'll do the tv series and get and get someday but it just yeah that, that was a bit of a challenge in that sense and then in one way having myself on set every day working as, as the actor also helped with the writing because i was able to you know think on the spot and change things and 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 also adapt to changes that other cast had made so ray would suddenly you know ray would turn up and say what if i say this today and either the idea would be great yeah that's fantastic or no you can't say that because someone else said it yesterday and it, you know, it just—it just—it was just a mammoth of a process to keep keep track on, and, and it was just me. You know, I was the writer, the script editor. That you know, I was doing—I was doing all the scenes and making sure it all made sense for first AD and the director. So it was just a. I spent a lot of my days in pre-production, like fixing things and you know sorting things out. Matt, we've got that carriage, okay? You can put that in the script. We don't have this, cut that out. So it was a bit of a um, it was a bit of a hit because the world itself. You know, if, th- if this was done with a major studio, you know, we had 50 million or 30 million, we would have had the whole world. It was a very much Amadeus kind of world where, you know, when you walk through the, the setting and the scenery, you have the animals, you had, you have things that really put you in the world. And, and you know, eventually most of that had to get cut because we'd never funded to do it. So, um, but the, the writing process itself was really great. You know, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was, it was an up and down experience because I was very much learning Know to to write a feature film essentially on you know, off the back of not written a feature film before. Um, but I love it now, so it's um, you know, it ended up being a skill that I really, really like, and and I had to become good at it because I did so many bloody drafts of it. So
0: And the research element's quite interesting as well, because with Jim Belcher, there's no singular text that's been written about him, but it's more about finding mentions of him in other places and descriptions of fights. And so what what did a lot of the research process look like in terms of the story development? Um, Because I've even heard you mention that there's also a lot of contradictory information where even the date that he maybe was in a particular fight is listed as two different things. And so how did you kind of Find a lot of the research material that was going to give you those little inflections of detail, and then look at some of the information that matched up or was contradictory, and kind of determine what made sense for the story you were telling.
1: Well, look, you know, the reason why it took ten years to to from from writing to um you know to creating the film, I spent two years in the British Library just just trying to find anything I could on him. There was no books written on him. You know, he was relatively unknown. He was actually you know he was unknown by even boxing purists so i had to find a book on someone else that had written that had then mentioned jem and in one way it was it was tough because i had to do a lot of research and find you know nuggets and bring them into his story but on the other side it gave me a bit bit of creative freedom so you know, i'd find court records where one said he Fought on this date, and the other one said no. He fought the other date, and he, you know, he was this age, and that even his age was 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 wasn't you know was 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 changing. So I thought, oh, I'll use I'll use that creative freedom to bring into the story, which is partly why you know the the, the birth of and the evolution of boxing is, is kind of crammed into prize fight itself. You know, the the beginning of the sport is is bare knuckle, and the end of the end of the film is 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 when they're first using the gloves, which we cheated that a little bit to kind of you know, show the evolution of the sport and, and what, it, what it represented in that time frame, time frame. So, you know, some of the key things for me with Gem with and the research, you know, youngest ever champion, blind at 22 and dead by the time he was 30. That was my opening pitch. Then as I was finding more information out about him, uh, I, I don't know if you've read this or heard of it, but I started figuring out the connections between me and him, because originally I wasn't writing this going, hey, I want to play the lead lead actor in a a film and you know it was just like wow this story was this his story fascinated me I just felt like it had to be told and then these things kept coming up you know I remember finding his weight and his height and his size and it was similar to to myself which was which is quite rare to compare someone that's 220 years you know before you and then um, I find one one uh, sort of quite important document that said his mum's name was Mary, which my mum's name is Mary as well. Um, then, you know, something else hit hard where he died on the 30th of July, which is my birthday. Um, and then and then the, the other thing was that the, he fought a fighter called Henry Pierce, which is at the end of the film, you know, uh, as one of his kind of triumph fights in terms of, um, it was dubbed the Forgotten Fight of the Century. And, and Pierce is the last name of, of, of my dad who was British heavyweight champion and that's how the whole story started and came together so it was this whirlwind of a kind of like you know not sort of um too spiritual in that sense but it felt like there was some weird energy and you know connection driving me to to bring his story to life you know and the most important thing that people seem to be picking up on is you know no one knew anything about Jim so the fact that this actually exists is is a um is, is a great thing and there's so many other characters and so many other things that will happen at the time which are just fascinating which I could, you know, I, I need a couple of lifetimes to, uh, <laughs> to try and, to try and uh, help bring them all to life. So, yeah.
0: And you're bringing up there the evolution of the sport and how even at that particular time, that was a real crux for, for the sport and the game itself changing quite a bit. Um, You know, and especially given that you, you grew up very absorbed into the world of boxing through your dad um, and came to this with knowledge of it already. I was interested in, in that journey and that process of kind of taking what you already knew about the sport and then really doing this deep dive back towards what was the sport like in the 1800s, because it was a very, very different type of sport i imagine stylistically the fights are very different and you can really see that in a lot of those scenes um and so how did you kind of uncover and figure out visually what that needed to look like in terms of how you then wrote it into the script but also then how you were performing those scenes alongside the other actors in the film
1: yeah it's a great question i think there's two things first of all i mean i you know my my dad passed away from boxing related injuries so i actually i actually didn't know too much about the sport it would, you know it was the thing that my mum said, never do, you know? Um, so bizarrely through this film, I've learned so much about my dad and I've fell in, fallen in love with the sport through this film. And in so, in many ways, boxing saved me because of all the stress and anxiety that that, that I went through throughout the making of it. Um, so that, that's one thing. I, I learned so much through this film about the sport Um in terms of the style and the way it was, I mean, it blew my mind, I, right? I, I, I read something that Jen wrote about this treaty of boxing. And it was the first time I started comparing him to like a, you know, 220-year-old version of Muhammad Ali, because, you know, I'm reading this, this small treaty, the only thing I found that he wrote, and it was about the speed and the jab and the, the scientific approach and the, and the mind behind boxing. Which was just you know unheard of at the time. So he was way ahead of his time. This is this is a smart you know young man who was way ahead of his time, and he dressed the way he wanted to, and he spoke the way he wanted to, and you know he was a very he was very involved in bringing the celebrity figure of boxing into into the mainstream you know public at the time. So he was he was way ahead of his time, and, and you know there's been a bit of um, you know I've had a bit of I've had a bit of backlash in the sense of, oh they were they wasn't using gloves at that time, and they weren't doing this. Um, but what I find in my research is they actually, you know, a lot of fighters were sparring in gloves. A lot of fights were happening in gloves. It just it wasn't the norm. It was the same as you know what people were preaching so so many you know, so many years ago. It's now it's now become the norm. So he he was really revolutionary at the time, and you know the, the journey that he was the, the time frame he was alive was uh, was definitely a golden age of boxing. So I tried to I tried to you know I knew the hook of this film would be you know, the birth of boxing, I knew the hook would be, okay, the beginnings of how boxing started and how it was created and who these people were jumped to where, you know, as close as we can get to now in terms of the rules and the sport. But, you know, the, the, the way they trained was, was very different and the, the, the brutality of it was just crazy. You know, Jem had a fight with a guy that was 56 rounds and you know you could never include that in the film. It's just crazy. So you know they they just literally fought until they couldn't fight anymore. You know, and, and and eventually what happened is someone you know people started getting killed, and and that's how the rules and regulations and gloves came into place a little bit later. So yeah, it just it just fascinated me with that world. You know, it kind of felt very much like um, you know, just just really brutal and raw, and 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 at the same time there was all this textured, you know, economic. Uh, social and the industrial revolution was, was changing lives as well. There was a war going on with Napoleon. So, you know, all that, all that side just fascinated me. And I tried to just, you know, drop little nuggets in here and there. Um, you know, one of the big things was so many women used to go and watch Gem fights, So we dropped that into the story as well. And, and, you know, one of the scenes with the female characters, she says, uh, you know, w- women are there watching, you just have to notice them. And it's kind of a nice little play and plug on, you know, taking notice of people at the time which which you know was was dubbed just a very male dominated sport um i hope that answers your question i think yeah. <laughs>
0: No, it, it does. And, you know, through the film as well, we also see that, you know, it's it's about what he does in the ring, but also it, it really transcends outside of that. And he's brought into a lot of kind of very high society rooms. And it's an interesting dynamic because he's there, you know, in essence, as a guest and, and some element of entertainment for them at the same time. Um, and he's able to move kind of very seamlessly between worlds. And so I was interested in in kind of your perspective and, and how you really viewed him as a character You know, especially in your performance and those aspects of, you know, everything that he does in the ring and the way that that kind of carries him into these really interesting spaces and the way that he finds himself quite adept at at being very malleable to these situations.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there was was quite a few things that we couldn't include in his story because it just was, it would just seem unbelievable. You know, before his fight, he got attacked and stabbed and, you know, these things, him winning the championship so young. He just, he won it, he won the, the title and then was just str- put into this, this you know, from a, from a poor boy in Bristol to hanging out with Lords and, and being a celebrity figure in London. So I, you know, the key thing, the key sort of themes of this story was to really give it some heart, you know, in Gem and the fight sequences and, and, the, and the, the character-driven story with the family and the mother. I really wanted to show his rags-to-riches story. And I wanted to show it quite quickly. I wanted to show him rise to fame quickly. And I wanted to show him fall quickly because that's what happened. Um, and that's normally, normally, you know, when you, when you hear of, especially boxers, they seem to have these, you know, sort of extra um, textured lives where they, they rise and get everything in the world and then suddenly crash. You know, I, I was on tour with Tyson Fury doing, doing the promotion of the film. And, you know, he won, the, he won everything when he won the championship. And the next day he just plummeted. Like he just completely plummeted and that that led into his mental health and all these kind of things. So I really wanted to really, you know, speed that pace up. And you know, you, you're delivering to an Amazon 2022 audience and people's people's attention span is not the same as it used to be. So people want want to see things quickly. And I and I think his story, you know, like I said, blind uh, youngest ever champion of the 19, blind at twenty-two and dead by the time he's thirty. So I had to tell it quite, quite, you know, quite um, quite quickly in that sense and, and with pace. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> And and when he does become injured and that is that period of time where, you know, he's he's not able to fight and he's even he's not even training at that point. Um, you know, it's a very internalized journey for the character, and particularly in that sense of what his identity had become and the way it became so tied into, you know, being this champion and the way that he was revered and and all of those relationship dynamics that came with that for him. And so he becomes kind of, you know, he puts a lot of walls up and even within himself. And so what were the most important aspects of of that very internalized journey of what it means to have his identity so married to something that all of a sudden is completely stripped away from him.
1: Yeah, I, you, you you impress me so much because you you, <laughs> you just get you just get it. it. It's so hard to kind of you know explain this to people. I watched 160 boxing films from 1927 Hitchcock's first film, The Ring, all the way till now, and one of the key factors I, I found was in all these films, it doesn't have to be boxing films, but uh, you know, I was watching these boxing films. They were always doing it for someone. They were doing it for, you know, whether Rocky's doing it for Adrian or someone's doing it for their dog or their, their wife or whatever. And I thought, right, okay, if I can come up, if I can get across Jem and his internal struggle and his genetics that's related to his grandfather and fighting, then that might be something that, that just gives it a little bit of edge and just a little, little, you know, little bit of difference. So I really wanted him to rise and fall, and I really wanted him to fall through his own kind of mistake or his own kind of, um, you know, he had control over it in, in terms of that. He does. He didn't have to drink. He didn't have to go to the, you know, to the place where he had the accident. All these things could have, could have, um, could have not happened. So I really wanted that internal struggle to come out, and I really wanted that internal. Um, you know belief to shine through, especially you know no spoiler alerts, but especially at the end, where it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, but Jem is actually happy and Jem is complete in many ways um because of the resolution that he's had with his family and his mother so that was a real you know and I would love to have I'd love to have kind of spent a lot longer with that as well um and again, you know, one of my biggest references was, was Amadeus and they did that very well. They really tapped into, you know, the internal struggle of the character and he was he was leading the way of where his um, journey was going. So that, that, was, um, that was really nicely picked up on that because I normally have to explain it and uh, you, 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 you picked up on it. <laughs>
0: And and in terms of the external as well, it's also quite interesting to watch that that evolution of his fighting style throughout it as well, because it's not, you know, we see very early on, he's not necessarily always the biggest and the strongest and the most muscular person in the ring, but he kind of understands the game in a very intellectual way way when it comes to boxing um and so how did you kind of work to make sure that there was this real visual difference stylistically from the first time we see him step into the ring and it's kind of it's very pure instinct at that point and then what that evolution is as he trains but with that in the way that he kind of approaches it very intellectually
1: yeah i think i think it's it's you know it's like some of the best boxers that have ever lived They, they adapt really well to fights you know you, you, whenever you watch like Floyd Mayweather or Canelo or some of, some of the greatest boxers, they don't always start off the the winning fighter or the strongest fighter or, the, or they're winning each round. But what they're doing is adapting, and they're adapting very quickly. So Jem Jem Jem's thought process was always there that oh with it I don't I don't have to be massive, but if I can move out of the way of the punching, then I can dodge that. And if I if I catch him quickly and I catch you know and I catch him three or four times, then that might you know that might that might secure the win. So. Again, I really wanted to distinguish between you know that and the fast, the fast, the fast-pacedness of it in terms of like, you know, his first fight in the field in the forest is very just like you know instinctual and just kind of it's just like right, what do I do? I'm being thrown and hit around. Okay, if I move and dodge out the way and I grab him, and it's a bit, uh, you know, it's a bit of a street fight. And he would have picked that up from his grandfather watching him fight in the field, you know, when he when he was younger. So I really wanted that, and then and then move into a really tough. Fighter Andrew Gamble, where he had to be a bit stronger, be a bit aggressive, you know move like a boxer, but also hit hit harder and, and and really put him down and then that shines through where you know you see the change in his personality where he starts having fun and he starts mocking the you know the bigger fighters, and then really you know the end fight is is very much he's doing he's doing it for him he's doing it for his family, and you know he it's something that he really needs to do just to kind of, um, you know, just to kind of um, secure his honor, I suppose, to his grandfather. Um, so each, each fight has, a, I really wanted it in the writing, I really wanted each fight to have a story and a journey, not just like, oh, they're just having a fight or they're just having a, you know, punch up. I really wanted each fight and each round to have a journey. And, and the end fight really um, cements that because each round has a, like, okay, Jem's winning one, Henry Pierce is winning the other, they both draw then one gets knocked down then the other and then leads us into this like respect and honor that they have for each other at the very end so I really wanted to show that progression from the beginning to the end and have a bit of fun in between you know a, a bit of spitting in one of the fire's faces and showing off and, and this kind of stuff because that's what they that's what they did you know he, he was he wore like purple breeches to fights and you know just Four people with his, his, his eyes closed and his hands behind his back because he was that confident. Um, so, yeah, try to really get get that get you know get some of that across.
0: And then I also wanted to ask a little bit about the collaboration with Daniel Graham, who's the director of the film, um, because even going back to the way that you were talking about the script earlier, it sounds like you had a lot of very strong visual ideas for, mm-hmm. for how this story could be told as well. Um, and so I was interested in in how the two of you really collaborated with some of the visual elements that you were layering into the script that felt really important, um, you know, but even kind of hearing you talk about the film and just the way that even each location has very distinctive lighting and, and color choices. Mm-hmm. And so I was interested in. In, in how a lot of the visual aspects of how we've ended up seeing the film came about with the relationship that the two of you had working on this project together.
1: Yeah, I, I worked with Daniel on a film before, so we've been involved in that. I, I produced his second film, and I also acted in the second film as well, The Grand Duke of Corsica, with um, Tim Spall and Pierre Stormier. So we'd already been through that journey before in, in, you know, in, in many aspects, in terms of the acting and the producing, and you know, me trying to protect and honour his vision for the Grand Duke um so we had a very good understanding in that sense and he you know his 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 job now was to kind of bring my vision to life in that sense and as soon as we got to the point where you know we hired a lot of the same crew that we worked with the same DOP we hired um a, an amazing camera operator that we would worked with on our last film who you know was one of the main camera operators on Blade Runner and done loads of stuff so you know we we really got the visuals were there in the script you know he He was left to run free on on the the look and the kind of colors with the d o p and that kind of side, so we'd set it up to a place where I could just focus on the acting and he could just focus on the on the visuals and and anywhere then that I could help um if there was any sort of issues or problems i would I would jump in and you know change stuff and adapt stuff but we had a we had a very good understanding from from early on, and you know i I really needed you know this film business is just <laughs> bonkers and i really needed someone you know i went through so many directors you know daniel wouldn't mind me saying this i tried so many i've been in the room with directors you know paying and auditioning and all this kind of stuff and i really needed a director that would fight my corner if if some if at some point someone said well wait there why is this matt guy playing the lead in in a you know film with russell crowe and this and that we don't care if he's written it blah 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 you know, there's a, there's a reason why the the story of Rocky and Sylvester Stallone hasn't happened for so long. It's just so bloody difficult. You know, it's, it's it's almost impossible. It's it's really, really, really challenging. Um, So I had to get, I had to had to I had to work with a director who would stand by me and say, "Well, wait there." No, I've worked with Matt as an actor. I've worked with him as a producer, and you know, and support me and help nurture me in that sense, so I could just focus on the acting, which is what we did. Um, And you know, it was it was quite. It, I would say it was a, you know, um, a focused move to, to make that decision. Um, and Daniel was very much aware of that. And he, you know, he, he had read many drafts of script before. So he was, he was thrilled to, to sort of um, be involved in that. And we, and we collaborated quite well in that sense.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so impressed at the, the perseverance that it's taken in order to get this film made, you know, particularly over the course of so many years. So congratulations on everything with it. And thank you so much, Matt. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much.